Hello, and welcome to the FaveCast. I'm your host, Jeff LaFave. Today, we explore the existential hell known as the COVID-19 pandemic. I've been trapped in my house now for 27 days. Per the advice of the government, my employer, and the neighborhood. It's been a trying time. Some days I stare at the sun just to see something new. Sure it hurts. Everything hurts. Why are you crying? Stop crying and listen to the Favecast. Episode 1. Live, Laugh, Love. Coronavirus. All right, Favecast, episode one. Here we go. Thanks for joining me. That intro was Angela by Bob James off the 1980 show Taxi. Please don't sue me. And hey, while we're on the topic of lawsuits, I want to make it known exactly what this podcast is going to be. This is your warning. Uh, I'm going to use some very adult language and talking about some mature topics, perhaps some controversial ones. Uh, decide if this is right for you, but if you're someone like a great aunt or, uh, a grandparent that I just now have learned has come back from the grave and you're going to be offended by sensitive language, probably not a good idea to listen to this podcast. I'm going to say a few f- words and maybe a few f- words. We'll see what happens. Uh, but otherwise, this is going to be an open forum for anything. Please reach out to me on Twitter at btownmoose. You can also email me at karatebone at gmail.com. Now, let's get right into it here at the Favecast. Today, April 6th in the year of our Lord 2020, marks the 27th consecutive day I have stayed in home, or the technical term, sheltered in place during the COVID-19 pandemic. I have been keeping a tally on my wall and pencil, It is 27 consecutive days. Starting to look like a jail cell in here. Smell like it too, maybe. I'll be honest with you. But first, when I was hearing about coronavirus, I was not taking it incredibly seriously. I had generally just had not much concern as an able-bodied person in the Western Hemisphere, but any co-worker I had that was talking about it like it would be an issue uh, came off as a crazy person to me. It really seemed... uh, Much of like previous years, Ebola with uh, SARS scares, that it was going to be a seasonal thing, that it would pass in the modern world. Uh, But as we're clearly seeing now here in the United States, uh, most of us are on lockdown, approaching a month at that. It's been weird. It's been extremely weird. I don't have to tell you it's been weird. I live in a college town and all the students are gone uh, six weeks before graduation and they won't be back until August, maybe. Normally on my street, all of the apartments and student homes are filled up by now with leases, but I can look out and probably see about 60 to 70% of the houses are still for lease. Uh, Normally by April, that's not a problem. It's long done. I remember my college rental home, I had it on the books by January, and I had to. We were getting beat out. Uh, But now we're approaching April, maybe May, and we'll see exactly how much this hurts the Bloomington economy. Uh, But when we're talking about coronavirus, I think the thing that interests me most is just how unprecedented it is and how we've reacted to the new information that has presented. So, like, 
immediately the thought on everybody's mind, if we're going to have to shelter in place, not go anywhere for a bit, is to stock up on what we need. That's rational thought from a bunch of people who used to be hunter-gatherers but have since turned into DJs and lifestyle bloggers. Uh, and among that, the first items to go, surprisingly, toilet paper went out the window real fast. And, of course, I'll be childish, I thought, is like, does this coronavirus make you shit? Like, what's it do? Uh, why the toilet paper? And I think a lot of people were asking. I haven't seen anywhere in the public dialogue that toilet paper goes the fastest because it's the largest item in mass that people buy in grocery stores. Ergo, it's the hardest thing to keep on the shelf per space. Uh, but apparently the narrative turned to hoarding. That might be true, but I just really think it's the size of the toilet paper getting off track. I kept having all these quandaries about, say, that this is the last time you go to the grocery store in your adult life because we are here now, buddy. And I was thinking about, like, what my last meals would be. Is pizza rolls really emblematic of a 29-year-old man who thought he was on top of the world? You tell me. Walking around Sam's Club, I remember wearing my larger boots, putting in my septum ring, six-gauge, and uh, walking around with a power stance like that was going to do me anything at Sam's Club intimidate a whole bunch of uh, Tammy's bubbies and seniors see if I can find my 36 pack of granola bars at a discount rate but at the end of it I really found myself cratering to my will of comfort food and wanting to leave with like two handles of gin and a 72 count bin of sandwiches that's life in America if you're gonna guster down you better have the good stuff anyway so at this point, I'm almost out of all that special food. It's whatever. I uh, might have to go back again, or I'll starve to death. I don't know. We'll see. At this rate, I really don't know, and I wouldn't be surprised. So, something in particular that has stood out to me. Uh, I'm not the sort of person that likes to dig on slacktivism, because anyone that cares is good in my book. We're desperately running out of people who give a fuck. Uh, if you care, good for you. Uh, but... It has been so damn easy to fight in this campaign. Like, stay home, social media campaigns, people talking about their favorite things to do at home. Hey, everybody, how are you spending your time indoors? Like, I get it. We have a need for validations as humans. It's a scary time for most economically and socially. Uh, but you cannot literally get any lower than you are doing your part by doing absolutely nothing. And if you were really good at doing absolutely nothing, you win! It's been weird to reckon with, because at some point, yeah, I'm sitting at my house playing Mario Kart and feeling like I'm doing something good, but suppose there was someone dying on the porch outside my house and I was doing the same thing. Just everything is circumstantial. It doesn't feel right to sit in place and know that that's the right thing to do. So maybe I'm not feeling great about it. And so I think, like, the funniest thing uh, about COVID-19 closing everything is businesses having to decide if they were essential enough to stay open or if they were low enough at the food chain where they need to be closed. It was a real tough line because immediately, as a society, we got it right. We said schools, college, young people are too valuable, keep them safe. And everyone's like, okay, good idea, good idea, good idea. We started being like, oh, nursing homes and uh, old folks. Oh, yeah, you got to leave them be. Leave them be. Uh, absolutely. Okay. No no immunocompromised people going in. We need everyone to be safe. Okay, okay, okay. 
And then people started asking like extremely specific questions like, what about uh, titty bars? What about the liquor store? Hey, uh, is Taco Bell going to be open? And I don't think as a society we were quite ready to pick and choose like the step parents that we were going to live with or decide to send away as our capitalist overlords. It's tricky, kind of a paradox, because uh, right now the big movement is everybody support local, and that's never not important. Local businesses are the lifeblood of every community, uh, especially the sort of community I'm in. And of course, the best way you can support a business is by giving them your money for goods. At the same time, it seems like the worst way you could support a business was by giving them a sickness. So we're at this weird, tricky tightrope where we don't want our businesses to go away. So I'm doing all sorts of different things, like having local beer shipped to my house. People are setting pizzas on my porch and walking away, and I'm waving at them through the window like some sad burn unit lifer. And really, it, it, it's tricky. It's really, really tricky. There are things I feel are essential. Like I, if I run out of anxiety meds, I got to go to CVS and pick up my anxiety meds. If I run out of bread and milk, at some point, I'm going to have to go back to the grocery store. But what What if I really want some, like, a moss-covered, three-handled family credenza, and I can't live without it? I, I absolutely have to have it, and I can have it delivered to me safely. Am I being a bad person by having someone come to my house, even dropping it off safely, just by presenting themselves into the void where anything could strike them at any time? And so it presents almost a weird dichotomy. Uh, who the fuck decided to mow their lawn in the middle of my podcast? You asshole, the favecast is coming on. What the fuck? Alright, so I have folks in my life that are servers. Uh, closest thing we have to angels on planet Earth. Bartenders and the like. Uh, in addition to being paid such an already little $2 and something plus tips according to the state of Indiana... I know some folks that have not had work in a month. They're probably not going to go back to work for another month. Folks that needed nightly tips now are not getting anything. And I see them hosting, like, virtual bars from their kitchen. I see them offering odd job services. And then there are folks from corporations, say, like Drizzly, that are delivering booze to people's houses with a minimum $40 order and a $4.99 shipping and handling fee. And odds are, once you start buying $50, $60 worth of beer, you're going to tip them 10 to 12 bucks at a minimum. And we got folks profiting quite well off of the circumstances of the situation when the folks I know who are my age, who are in my peer group that really have to fend for themselves as a skill, as a trade in dealing in alcohol... They can't get to work, and it's really scary to me how the folks that are going to win out in this scenario are typically the ones that own the businesses that can do it all, but the folks that typically make it happen by giving it their all not going to be tapped on the shoulder, and that's really disappointing. Here's the mail, it never fails, it makes me want to wag my tail, when it comes I want to wail. That's right, folks. It is time for the Favecast mailbag. You might be thinking episode one. How can you already have fan mail? I've got good friends that put in some good suggestions. I'm going to get right to it. First question comes from Nick asking me, what is the worst children's board game? We can go a few directions here. We can go in the sense, what is the worst board game that is meant for kids? 
and what is the worst possible board game that a kid could play. Uh, so for the first, we're talking about stuff like Hi-Ho Cherio, maybe Twister, and on the latter, we're talking about games like Magic the Gathering, or Chess, or Monopoly, or things that are way out of a kid's hand. So uh, let, let's do a little bit of both. The worst children's board game, the first that came to mind, uh, Candyland. There's no damn candy. Who thought of that? Uh, after that, Hungry Hungry Hippos. That's a brain builder right there. I win. After that, the worst board game you could probably ask a child to play. <sighs> Parcheesi? Does anyone know how to play Parcheesi? Has anyone ever known how to play Parcheesi? That's beyond me. Our second question is from Logan. Thank you, Logan. Batman or Supes? He meant Superman. And why? I'm going to go with Batman here. Uh, all the uh, associations of Bruce Wayne being a millionaire, billionaire, capitalist, hero type. Forget all that for a second. I just hate Superman. Uh, let, let's talk about the concept of Superman. First, the name. That, that really broke the mold. Superman. How do we know that he's a man or a superhero? Well, he's a Superman. Okay, fine. And what is his power? Oh, he is all of them. Literally all of them. Literally all of them. Yeah, he can fly. He's supersonic strength. He can fly around the world. Uh, bullets cannot pierce him. He's handsome. Everyone loves him. Does he have any weaknesses? Oh, yeah, he does. What is it? Oh, this one rock. Oh, that's not in abundance on this planet, is it? No, but people ship it all the way across the universe. Oh, can they go back and get this rock? No, it blew up. Oh, okay. Boring. I don't like Superman. And I say this even as a print journalist. You'd figure I'd relate with Clark Kent to some degree. Um, I know for a fact that Superman's not human because he had a print career in journalism for several decades. And if that doesn't prove to anyone's a superhero, I don't know what to tell you. Also, Bruce Wayne, Batman, whoever you want to call him, brings people into his house and trains them. That's why we have Robin. That's why we have Batgirl. When's the last time Superman did any of that shit? Is he a mentor? Does he have unpaid internships at the Daily Planet? I think so. That might be the case. Does he work at the Daily Planet or the Daily Bugle? I don't know. They're probably both closed by Gannett in 2020, that's for sure. Our third question here in the Favecast mailbag is an intelligent one, which, you know, makes me sick. Brayton asked, what will happen on January 19th, 2038? I actually had to look this up to see what the significance was. Apparently, there is a situation called the year 2038 problem. I did not, I did not know this. Uh, it's a problem with digital time systems. Basically, since all digital time started on January 1st, 1970, it's been counted in binary code as a 32-bit integer. What you need to know is that all the numbers counting up will run out, apparently at 3 a.m. Greenwich Meridian time on January 19th, 2038. I looked it up. It's a Tuesday, and that means it's probably going to be 10 p.m. and I'll be watching Monday Night Raw, which means wrestling's probably going to go off. I assume Monday Night Raw is going to be on the air in 2038 because we'll have no new ideas ever, especially from WWE. And I, it feels a lot like the Y2K bug where everyone thought society was going to collapse, all of our cash registers were going to explode, ATMs would take all of our money, and uh, people would generally just be living in filth again. Uh, 
I'm not sure what's going to happen here. I'm not smart. I don't wear a wristwatch. I'm uh, not what you call good-looking or multi-talented. I uh, can't code to save my life. I really couldn't tell you. If you have any ideas what's going to happen on this apparent Tuesday when I'm 47 years old, uh, y'all let me know. If anything is going to happen, I don't want it to be anything lame and digital like a clock shutting off. I want, like, blood to pour out of Big Ben's clock face or Buckingham Palace to descend into the seventh layer of hell. You know, we'll see what happens. Question number four comes from a man named Joe from the Pittsburgh area. Thank you very much, Joe. Describe your neighbors and the trash you find around your area. I've made it clear I'm in a college town, so it's not unusual to see, like, red Solo cups or beer cans anywhere on the street, and that includes recently Jewel Pods, uh, anything that comes with, I thought they were, like, spark plug covers at first, something a little weird computer chip. No, vapes, who knows. Uh, beyond that, I am near some fast food restaurants here in my part of Bloomington, specifically Rally's, Arby's, and Wendy's, so I see a lot of those wrappers blowing around. Uh, I also live next to some apartments where uh, these are some folks uh, living in poverty, and uh, it's not a correlation thing, but I do see a shitload of trash over in their yard. Um, you can find anything from, like, chip bags to used syringes over there. you got to be really careful. Uh, there's an entire alley of just broken glass. Um, but by and large, the trash I find is fast food styrofoam cups, plastic bags from Kroger, uh, you know, that sort of suburban tumbleweed sort of shit. Question number five is from fellow Bloomington resident, also named Jeff, but he spells it the British way, G-E-O-F-F. -F. Or I think it's the British way, I don't know, the Toys R Us way, that's all that matters. Do you like board games and or card games? Which do you prefer? Any ones in particular you enjoy? If not, are there other games you like? That seems a little provocative with the scare quotes there. Uh, video games, puzzles, drinking games, etc. Uh, I love games. I love board games. I love card games. I love video games. I love mind games. I love head games. All sorts of games that you can play. Uh, but for real, when it comes to board games, chess and Scrabble are my one-two. I love thinking games. I love logic games. I love some card games like poker. Blackjack is especially fun. I don't like euchre. I don't know when and where I was told that Euchre is an Indiana thing. I'm sure every state in the Midwest or somewhere that didn't get electricity until the 1900s, Euchre is the de facto hobby. I could never get into Euchre. I don't get it. I, I can't learn it, so I've tried to learn three times. And I don't feel too bad about it because when my dad was in college, uh, the economics and statistics professor tried to teach my dad Euchre, and he couldn't learn either. So uh, just leave us out of it. We are idiots uh, who don't understand cards. But if you want to have me over for Blackjack, Slapjack, Uno, I'll play and I'll take your money. I also play the New York Times crossword every morning, not the miniature, the full one I subscribe. I honestly think doing the crossword every day is going to keep my mind fit through old age. I really hope so, at least, because I'm not going to give it up. Lastly, with video games, I really enjoy retro and nostalgic video games. I'm trying to go back and beat F-Zero, the classic Super Nintendo racing game, but it's proving very difficult. NBA Jam, I've basically mastered at this point for the Super Nintendo. Come play me, you'll lose. Uh, and I have a Nintendo Switch. I love Smash Brothers Ultimate. 
I love Mario Kart. I love Mario Party. Uh, Going to try out Breath of the Wild and Animal Crossing soon, but I have not formally started each of those yet. Next question comes from another Bloomington resident, Galen. Galen, thanks for your time. Galen asks, why isn't there a Battle Chess esports league? Uh, for those of you who don't know what Battle Chess is, it's just like regular chess, but it's one of those video game simulations where all the players and pieces are portrayed by the actual feudal medieval roles they play, like a knight is going to be on a horse and stab the other players, or a queen might hit someone with a scepter. And uh, It's just a real animated form of chess. It was created in the late 80s. It was available as an unlockable feature in the Chess Master video game series up to and through the mid-aughts. Uh, I think the reason why it's not more popular is the people that play chess are pretty big nerds and assholes about being strict and having a universal set to play on. Everyone wants the same pieces, and it's going to be hard to tell whose role is who when you start looking at human beings and not shapes of plastic. So, uh, To answer your question, I don't know why there isn't a Battle Chess Esports League. Uh, probably because that would require some degree of visual content, and most chess players I know do not shower, so I don't think that's necessarily a good thing to be broadcasting. I think the most famous example of battle chess was actually uh, as portrayed in the movie Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone when they play wizard chess to go through whatever part of Hogwarts they need to do. Looking it up here, uh, apparently Harry Potter was the bishop on A3, Ron was the knight on G5, and Hermione was the rook on F8, which I just gotta say, fucking nerds. Uh, but what's really interesting to me is that Harry sacrificed Ron as the knight, and there's a big internet debate, as it always is, about whether Ron should have hopped off the horse uh, because he got sacrificed, clocked in the face by an evil knight, and knocked out. <laughs> really kind of Harry Potter to do, but apparently that was necessary for the checkmate. Why didn't Rom jump off? I don't know. Maybe he's an idiot who's like nine years old and barely figuring out magic. Battle chess. Wizard chess. It's madness. Kill your friends. Broadcast it on Twitch. Make an OnlyFans. Next question comes from Eric, a wrestling fan friend of mine. Thank you, Eric. Eric asks... What is the best professional wrestling match of the last 20 years, in your opinion? Uh, we could easily open a chamber and be here all day, but I'm going to keep it simple. Sticking to WWE-branded entertainment since January 2000. Uh, it does give us a lot of options, a lot of different eras to pick from. And in asking someone with the best professional wrestling matches, that's going to be really subjective. There's so many ways we can splice it. If you had to ask me what I think was the most important match, the most effective match, the match I remember the most. Uh, it's a two-way tie, and both matches happen on the same night. I would say at WrestleMania 30 in April 2014, we had A, uh, Brock Lesnar defeat The Undertaker, uh, dropping his streak at WrestleMania and changing his record to 21-1 all-time. Uh, might have been the most stunning moment in wrestling, not related to a death or some sort of crime. Genuinely, every wrestling fan I knew uh, and no, at the time, it assumed that uh, the streak was going to go forever. It was going to be perfect. Maybe that was going to be the last match. But when Brock Lesnar, of all people, beat The Undertaker uh, clean, almost without any momentum into the match, it shocked everyone clean. Uh, I think that was a very important match because it showed that nothing was for sure in WWE and went on to later prove that night 
when uh, Daniel Bryan won his second match of the evening, defeating Dave Batista and Randy Orton uh, for the World Heavyweight Championship, I believe it was called at the time, crowning the Yes Movement at the Mercedes-Benz Superdome, or as Hulk Hogan called it, the Silverdome, brother, uh, at WrestleMania 30. I think that match, in addition just to being a thriller and uh, a great triple threat for the title, really cemented that there was a populist movement going in wrestling and within fans of WWE that we weren't going to take John Cena anymore. We weren't going to take Randy Orton or Triple H anymore. We want the small vegan guy who looks like a goat because we think he's the best. And people listened and said, yes, he is the best and he's going to be the champion now. Uh, I feel that crowning moment was the happiest I'd been as a wrestling fan. I think it would be the moment I show people the crowd reaction, the Superdome pyro, uh, going off just to show everyone what wrestling can be in terms of storytelling. I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about Daniel Bryan standing on the announce table with two titles now unified, one in each hand, throwing them up to the audience, showing yes, yes, yes. Uh, that was a wonderful match. I'll never forget it. But enough about wrestling. Uh, last question we have comes in from a person named T, spelled like the beverage. Thank you, T. Would you trade bodies with someone? Why? What kind of body? And how long? Two things immediately come to mind with this, uh, you know, as if I were to get a magic wish for a genie. The first sort of body I would want to trade with is that of someone who was uh, an elite, world-class athlete. I'm talking someone like Serena Williams. I'm talking a marathon runner. I want to know what it's like to be in shape because I've never truly been an athlete in my life. And if you're going to try this, why not go for the best? Uh, I want to see what it's like to run that fast, maybe play a game of National Football League football. Something really cool. Once-in-a-lifetime opportunity with the fortune of a fit body. Uh, I'm also curious to trade bodies with someone who is assigned female at birth. I'm assigned male at birth. I uh, It's not difficult to see that there's two different sets of hardware, typically. Uh, I just want to know what it feels like. I don't think that's uh, an asinine idea. I think everyone's been curious at some point. Um, even just the way hips sit, for example. There are so many different parts of the anatomy. I'm just wondering what the other side feels like. So, how long would I want this? I don't know. Probably not very long. A few days, two days, three days. I like my body a lot. I'm tall. I'm strong. And damn it, I'm good looking. So, I wouldn't want to be gone for too long. That's right, folks. You heard the big dramatic boat foghorn. That means we are out of mailbag questions. Thank you, everyone, this week for your participation. You can always send me more Favecast mailbag questions on Twitter at the handle at B-Town Moose. You can also email me anytime at karatebone at gmail.com. Let's kick it over to a quick commercial break. This is the Favecast. Think about it. When was the last time you drank expired milk? Society's norms are out of control, and we're here to help. During this time of quarantine, share fresh milk with your neighbors by drinking expired milk in the safety of your home. We don't want to be the only milk you drink, just the rottenest. This spring, remember, that sour milk doesn't have to make you gag. Paid for by the Society for Rotten Milk. Finding the car you want at a discount price can be a hassle. That's why we're proud to find cars you love and bring them to you. At Gimme Automotive, 
We'll steal any car you desire. Just point it out, we'll hack into it, jackknife it, and deliver it straight to your house with new license plates and a fresh paint job. Because remember, jealousy doesn't have to be forever when it could be in your driveway. All right, now that we made some minimum payments on some bills, it is time to wrap up the Favecast. Thank you for listening to episode one, Live, Laugh, Love, Coronavirus. I've been your host, Jeff LaFave. Special thanks today go out to Bob James, the musician whose music I stole to begin the show, Angela. I want to thank Nash Hot, long-term podcast radio host colleague of mine for close to 10 years now. Wouldn't have this passion without him. And thank you to Dea Amar, who mailed me a microphone and said, use it. And that's what we got. So, Dea, thanks for your help. Thank you for listening. If you're out there, I really appreciate your time. You have your choice of ways you could spend a half hour. Uh, don't do it drinking any expired milk or stealing cars. Just a legal disclaimer. Friendly reminder, once again, you can get in touch with me, the host of the Favecast, Jeff LaFave, at btownmoose on Twitter or via email at karatebone at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and until next time, this has been the Favecast.